Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the podcast. Today I have a very special guest for you today. Her name is Dr. Lisa Kennedy. She's the Chief Economist at Epiphany, Managing Principal at In Epiphany. Dr. Lisa Kennedy is doing some interesting work in the life sciences consulting. Her company specializes in health economic analysis, big data analytics, reimbursement, forecasting, modeling, and market access, which is something that's probably on your mind or at least on your agenda as you work to develop your strategy for the new year. She's lived in five countries and was the UK managing director of the first pan-European consumer and provider e-health company, Planet Medica, and made it the 2000 Financial Times top 10 digital management teams. In 05, Dr. Kennedy joined GE Healthcare as chief economist and received the CEO's President's Award for creating a team to drive market access. At GE, she was a global head of marketing operations and managed an innovation portfolio that led GE's healthcare strategy, which the company grew $2 billion. In 09, she was awarded the GE Vice Chairman's Award for John Rice for the creation of and launch of GE's $6 billion Healthy Imagination Innovation Incubator. She's got a long list of accolades, including awards from the UN, the White House, IDEA, the Triple Negative Foundation, and the National Association of Female Executives. Really, really excited to dive into her expertise today. Some of the other things she's involved with are TEDMED, Singularity University, so the list is long. With that, I want to stop there and open up the microphone to Lisa to uh, welcome her to the podcast. Lisa, so glad you're on. Hi, Saul. Thanks so much. Um, it's a real pleasure and a privilege to be invited onto your show. Thank you. And, and so, is there anything that maybe you want to fill in on that intro? No, I think you got it all. Aside from I wish my mom was listening. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've done a lot of cool stuff for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Well, you'll definitely have to share it with her so she could uh, take a listen. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know if your parents are like this, but um, I'm not sure that mine really know what I do. So I'll definitely send them this no it's 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 the same it's the same so it's <laughs> it'll be a good one so a shout out to lisa's mom <laughs> so lisa why did you decide to get into the medical sector you know that's, a, that's such a good question and it was an accident i was finishing my master's in policy management economics in the uk and then you know i was looking to pursue a phd and you know i was only 23 and i really thought that marketing was was a place to be my supervisor at the time he talked he was an economist and he talked me back into economics so that's, that was my background i've i'd been really studying economics until then and his specific area of expertise was health economics and, you know, I've said, as, as you know, in my twenties, early twenties, I really thought it was going to be just the most boring thing you could possibly do. But you know, as you know, if anything, it's the opposite. You know, just in my PhD, I was able to travel to Ethiopia. You know, I didn't know anybody, but each day I could travel in a UN truck. I took down uh, data from about fifteen hundred TB patients in Addis Ababa. I went through patient charts to find drug reactions, being able to watch nurses go out find patients, you know, in their houses to make sure that they got the treatment that they needed. 
witnessing, you know, what they have to go through in order to get healthcare. We think we have it hard. Well, we have really have no idea in the U.S. Yeah, it's such a good point. You know, we tend to be a little nearsighted when it comes to the larger global health issues. It sounds like you you got a feel for a lot of the stuff that was happening globally. So if you were to decide on a hot topic, Lisa, that needs to be on every health leader's mind today, what would you say that is? And um, how are you guys approaching it at in Epiphany? So I know you probably really want me to say blockchain because that's what everyone says on distributed ledgers for health data and security, you know, and that is really pretty exciting. But instead, I'm going to go with HealthCoin. You know, I think the innovative finance and finding that unit to measure progress, you know, it'd be really interesting for the U.S., if you think about carbon trading, well, you know, I, I've always, we've been on a perennial search for the carbon of health. And, you know, I think we need a clear way to measure health, a standardized way. I don't think the quality is it. When you think about actions and steps to improve it, you know, and everyone acknowledges that health is a merit good. Well, economists for sure. And so we need units to help us understand how do we measure progress better? How do we incentivize it? Um, how do we maintain competition within the U.S.? How do we get what is um, essentially a fundamental market failure in healthcare, both on the supply side and the demand side, to function more like a market, to get every stakeholder to incentivize um, towards that one goal of improving health? I think HealthCoin can do it. And, and you know, and I think a big challenge that we face in healthcare right now is how do we transform it without destroying or diluting the capability that you have? So... Those are some of the challenges. And I, I think this, it's just, I'm interested in it because I think it's, um, the goal wouldn't be to put a new layer of complexity, but how do we incentivize and engage stakeholders differently in such a way that we have a, some type of standard way to measure outcomes? So I'd say that, that that would be the thing that I would say is kind of on my mind that I think is particularly interesting. And we've, we've started researching this. We started to write policy papers that involve innovative finance like this, you know, and it's particularly interesting for things like curative treatments. Well, Lisa, it's fascinating. And so when you talk about health coin, my mind goes to like Bitcoin digital currency, but for healthcare. And so... Mm-hmm. What I want to do is just kind of allow you to, to dive into it a little bit more, clarify what exactly it is, for the benefit of, of the listeners and, and for me too. Yeah, absolutely. So it would be a system-wide currency that would be tradable, much in the way if you think about health carbons. So one of the issues we have today is that we don't know how we're measuring progress. A typical outcome measure that's being used, so for example, used by, I think initially innovated in UK by NICE, is the quality-adjusted life year. It's not something that rolls off the tongue. It's not something that you could potentially make more widespread. It also has elements that some folks criticize because it is seen as an ultimate measure of value groups across, um, across the world. Really, I think that Germany and potentially France haven't really completely embraced the quality, but you see it in Japan, you see it in Korea, you're starting to see it in China, you're starting to see it in the US, but I don't think it's complete enough for us to measure that. So the idea is that you would actually be able to trade currency by having a health coin, and it would give you the opportunity to finance a lot of things that aren't currently being financed, so there would be a financial amount associated with that. So it is in some way, it's like a Bitcoin, and you'd have that opportunity 
to be able to think about like, I don't know, gene therapies on the minds of a lot of folks right now. It's incredibly expensive treatments are incredibly expensive to finance. So you could use health coins or some of the novel financing of those treatments. There are also, if you also think some of the issues around um, health literacy, navigation in healthcare, um, competition, how to stimulate greater competition, how to build a competency model for alternative payment models. So this would be something that would be a tool to use within that instance. And, you know, there's been some criticism about alternative payment models, but we're starting to see some progress there. And so this would be a tool that would allow greater incentivization, greater movement of finance and changing of incentives within the current healthcare system. Love it. No, I really appreciate that, Lisa. And, and so when you think about the traditional transaction in healthcare, it's an insurance plan or an employer covering for an individual paying a provider that's giving the service. And, and in such a, I think, uh, an industry that's sort of set in its ways, I mean, how far is, is this, the ability to be able to use something like this? You know, it's going, so nothing changes overnight in healthcare. But this is an exciting time for healthcare. You know, it's on everyone's mind. It's in the news every day, good or bad news. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really a catalyst for change. So I think that as we see the movement, so, you know, you you hit upon it exactly right. So, so, you know, we've got, we still have a lot of payment that's fee for service. We have a lot of both positive incentives, but also negative incentives in terms of how patients were treated. There's a lack of transparency in the current system. So I think that's a huge issue. You're at TedMed, you saw Irene speak as well, talking about administrative costs, prices, transparency. I really do think transparency. Yeah, it it was actually. I think with them. with transparency, you, know, you think about groups like Castlight, we don't even know what we're paying in terms of things. So we need that transparency mm-hmm. in prices. We need greater data and outcomes. And that's going to be a big enabler and towards the movement towards alternative payment models. And we also need to start thinking about some type of universal outcome that allows us to maximize for every dollar we spend to get the most health that we can. But you know, the question is, well, how do we measure that health? And I think health coin is something that you can use both for and this is research right now for sure yeah but um it would need to be piloted we need to be validated you need to figure out what that competency model would look like in order to roll it out and what is an extraordinarily complex system already but i think it has some promise it's interesting to me it really is it really is and and maybe the the place for it could be just ambulatory care centers or uh, emergency just like the urgent care center where it's a little bit easier that might be the place to pilot i think it's fascinating to think about a technology that could both transact payment have a contract and at the same time track outcomes it's uh pretty pretty cool yeah absolutely Absolutely. So, I mean, there's a lot of research that's going to be necessary for it, but, you know, there's a lot of things that we are missing in healthcare today, even some of the basics that we need to continue to build on. But I think this is a, an important potential innovation. You know, there's, there's, um, there's so many things. So we did a, we did a survey of um, policymakers across um, it was an international survey actually to look at, cause you know, think about like being a GE, the big focus was on, on, um, early diagnosis and treatment and mm-hmm. screening potentially. And so a lot of the conversation was about how do you predict 
um, and potentially catch disease much earlier as such the the downstream costs would be less. And it was interesting. We spoke to a lot of policymakers. I think we spoke to about 25 or 30. They came back and said, well, we'd love to do that, but we've got to look after the folks that are coming into our emergency rooms today. Mm-hmm. That's where our money's going. We don't have the money to kind of reach out and do some of the more expensive, but longer term things that are going to improve health. And so finding that, you know, finding new innovations like this, I think is, is an important thing for us to try. Yeah, no, it's a great call out. And um, Lisa, I love how you just push the envelope and go beyond the box. You know, we tend to stay within the box. So folks take inspiration in, in this idea. You know, don't just listen and wonder, listen and, and take a next step, look it up, like do something else where you might get some ideas, whether or not you use this technology you get some ideas to inspire you to do it differently. Lisa, I'd love if you could share with us an example of how you and your organization have created results by doing things different. Yes. Yeah, so as far as so if we're, we're a consulting group, and so we don't currently have, we probably don't have profitability or outcomes issues ourselves at all. But as far as some of the things that we've done for other folks, for example, we've worked with a large professional medical organization, and we looked at their accreditation, and we ran their data, so massive amounts of data through Alteryx. I don't know if you're familiar with Alteryx. It is a great data blending and analytics platform. Huh. You know, like if you think about like data, and it's a San Diego company. It's, it's interesting because, you know, some people say that healthcare, they say it's like the second last industry to adopt new technologies. But if you talk to people who are working in consumer goods, they use this for all their business insights. And so we... Yeah, yeah, all tricks. And so think about healthcare data, a big challenge, even in HIE. So you think about, for example, what Flatiron's done, but a big challenge is that you've got lots of siloed data. There's a lot of barriers, both psychological and technical, that keep you from merging these data. And then we can't get the insights we're looking for, both on population health management, but just in terms of individual treatment choices. I say that because it's a great platform there, but also we ran their data through this and we found what kind of, what are some of the key things that really led to fewer diagnostic failures and fewer CMS sanctions. We use the Alteryx data also to merge data and then We've used a comparisons coefficient to predict future outcomes issues and future revenue at risk. We've used mm-hmm. uh, the tool. Uh, one of uh, the folks on our team is an absolute expert in geolocation. She did an interesting project in China with the Red Cross that looked at folks that were going to be affected by a recent um, earthquake. So geolocation is very interesting within data and healthcare, but we use that to determine where this, you know, some of these issues were going to happen in the U.S. And it was interesting work, you know, something that is kind of provocative because because it raises a lot of discussion and decisions in terms of, you know, what next step that the organization needed to do. And, and so that's some of the, the work that we've done. We've also been working to increase the visibility and pathology for an organization for cancer patients. I think um, I really, I'm a fan of pathologists and pathology. I think that it's one of the most underestimated, most important disciplines within medicine. And especially in oncology, this is an area you're seeing an absolute renaissance. We are learning so much about cancer that we can't even come up with a therapeutic armamentarium to match it. But, mm-hmm. you know, where we do know it's vastly improving cancer care and, and outcomes. So I'd say that's a, probably a, a longer answer than maybe you're looking for. <laughs> no, it's interesting, though, and this perfect segue to the next one, right? You talk about 
Okay, so we're learning about cancer. There's way more than we can actually even put up an armamentarium for. Speaking of armamentariums and lessons, would love to hear from you a time when you had a setback and what you learned from that. Yeah, absolutely. So mistakes. So where to start? I should say that my 23andMe says I am more likely to learn from, than some from my mistakes. And this is something <laughs> my, my husband, he likes to tease me about. I'm sure he doesn't have it. Okay. But um, I mean, have you, have you done 23andMe? You know, I did it a long time ago and uh, I was at the pharmacy, like I was at Walgreens and I walked past it. I know they've had a lot of updates. When I took it, it was only the ancestry part. Because, you know, when they were going through their FDA issues, when they deemed it a medical device. So, uh, but tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah, I got mine. It's funny to say that I got mine in TEDMED. Uh And in 2009, they looked at everything. And then it was the ancestry piece. And then they went back. But so my, my, um, my sample's probably pretty old too. But anyway, so, so. So They're back to doing everything, right? Yeah, they are. Okay. You know what? I'm going to do it. Yeah, you should. I'm fascinated by this stuff. It's very, very interesting. I actually had my biome done as well. That's really interesting with my biome. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, to answer your question though, um, (laughs) I guess uh, one of the mistakes kind of really comes to mind. So, you know, I think a lot of mistakes, they are, it is a learning. And most of the time, I think when you look on it, you think, no, I wouldn't, would I redo that? No, probably not. I probably, it was a learning. It was important. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the mistakes was, yeah, I was a CEO for a really small neurology startup and a while ago. And, and you know, I joined, I only took equity. Um, you know, I must have stayed there for a little less than two years, but it was two years of unpaid equity using my savings. You know, and I think like if I really think about my stake was, you know, I stayed too long. I had sunk costs mm-hmm. in my unpaid time. And it was so, by that point, so hard to free myself. I kept thinking like, if I just stay longer, something good is going going to happen here. And we had an extremely expensive, very promising technology kind of dazzled me. You know, I led neurology for GE and kind of their strategy. And, you know, I'd worked a lot in behavioral health. I knew that, you know, we do need better brain-based diagnostics. And, you know, the brain is something that's really, really interesting. You think about, fascinating. Uh, yeah, you think about neurodegenerative diseases, neurodevelopmental diseases. It's like how our diagnostic, our diagnosis of these diseases probably really hasn't changed materially in a few decades or even more, some people would argue. So this was a neuroelectrical diagnostic. It seemed to have a lot of promise, but mm-hmm. you know, we had IP challenges. We had board members who couldn't agree. They continue to argue. Some of them would ask me things like, what is a PL? <laughs> I mean, everything took so <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it was like it was like that's swimming crazy. treacle. I say that in the UK. It's like that's like a sticky maple syrup. Really. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. it took so much time to get everything done. And People were super colorful. I mean, in one presentation, I was asked 24 hours before I gave this presentation from a group of about, I don't know, four or 500 people, if I could part sing it. I mean, it was just really funny and kind of crazy. Wow. So, um, yeah. So, you know, and, and I'm, I'm kind of fortunate that a few clients in consulting that gave me work at the time. But yeah, it was, it was an interesting period of my life that maybe I'd change. You hear a lot of people talking about being a, a serial entrepreneur. Yeah, it's an always an interesting thing. But I, I say it sounds very glamorous, but it wasn't for me. <laughs> but, you know, I, I say like, yeah. I mean, one thing I'll never regret is starting business on with another partner. Uh, we have freedom to work on whenever and however we want to work on whatever we want. Um, shape our business, develop our people the right way. You know, in practice, it means that we work all the time, really all the time. But you know, I think like I read an article in the Wall Street Journal that said that basically, folks of this generation, so like my children, Generation Z. 
they've been so affected by the Great Recession that they're not going to be enough people to start new businesses on their own, not enough entrepreneurs. So it's kind of a worry, but um, yeah, I'd encourage people to get out there and pursue your dream. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's a really great story that you shared. And, you know, it it takes courage to make that jump. You learn a lot. Now you're using those lessons to make uh, life awesome and work awesome for the people on your team. So I think uh, it's a great share. And, um, you know, I I was um, reading this book called Rework. Mm -hmm. And uh, have you read it? I've heard about it. I have not read it. Okay. So there's this one little section and it's basically asks you to re-look at entrepreneur. The word entrepreneur has is loaded with like meaning and positive, negative connotation. And the authors prefer to call them starters. So mm-hmm. be a starter and you're more likely to get some stuff done rather than just an entrepreneur. Yeah. It just is, is, is your, you know, as you mentioned that it, it made me think of something else. Um, yeah. I had privilege at, at GE to work with Sue Siegel. She's their chief information officer and also came from Moore Davido. She said something interesting and it really kind of affected me during this period is that, you know, venture capitalists, they don't just look at the technology. There is a tendency to look at something and go, wow, that is so amazing. I've got to get into that. They look primarily at people. And Mm -hmm. that's huge in terms of what drives the success of these organizations. There's so many, and people talk about the hardware versus software being the people. I mean, that is, it's far, far more critical than you need to ever really imagine these, these startups. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. And, and so, yeah, it's something to think about folks. What would you say, you know, the other side of the coin is here, Lisa, your proudest experience in healthcare to date? Oh gosh. You know, I, I loved I really loved launching Healthy Imagination. That was a really exciting thing in terms of the... Um, so for the power. folks that don't know, maybe you shed a little light on it and, and, and why. It was a massive, so it was a massive effort by GEG Healthcare to really change the way that the company worked. Um, it wasn't just a branding initiative, but it just changed every single aspect of how products were developed, really developing on cost, quality, and access. Um, a lot of development, if you think about device companies, you know, there's a lot of development in terms of how they think about quality. They're thinking about how often the product fails once it's in the market versus, say, quality being, you know, does it improve outcomes? Cost is often thinking about, you know, cost of goods and how much cost to manufacturing versus cost in terms of how does it contribute within the care continuum to reduce overall cost or to drive greater value. And then obviously access so large, very large access portfolio that G had at the time across places like in India, Pakistan, Indonesia, to ensure that healthcare was being accessed by everyone who could, even those who were having difficulty affording some of the things that maybe we take for granted. Train like 20,000 salespeople on it. And um, it was a great platform to not just you know, change how we develop products, but also to change how we communicated value. So, and I think that's, that's always an issue for everybody is, is how do we, and we're facing right now, actually, with a lot of things that we're working on today is how do we really measure value? It's, it's tough. It's really mm-hmm. tough. So I was excited about that. And then, I mean, I guess really, if you think about, you know, some of the things we're doing in terms of measuring value today, you know, I just got back from speaking at Implants Conference. Um, we've been using their platform to predict the effects of health and health improvement on GDP and job growth. You know, this has never been really done with this platform in healthcare, and it's pretty exciting. If you model out every single dollar that moves through the economy in the U.S., and like 
not just at a national level, but on a state, all the way down to BRICS, so to zip codes. It looks at direct, indirect, induced effects of every economic action. And, um, you know, as I say, we struggle to quantify value in healthcare. We struggle with things like the quality adjusted life year. We look, we're struggling with rare disease today, very high price treatments, but that are also curative are really challenging how we think about value within healthcare. So yeah, curative therapies and scenarios so, um, and gene therapy. So I guess really that's, those are some of the, the kind of interesting things that have been pretty exciting for me. Love that. Yeah, it's uh, interesting work that, that you've been involved with, Lisa. And, and how about today? Do you have a, an exciting project or focus that you're working on today? Yeah, so we're working on some work on alternative payment models right now and innovative mm-hmm. finance, as I mentioned, we're working to further change and optimize implant to look at various healthcare policies to see not only how they improve health, but is there a way that you can add further information? for better decision-making on a particular policy or a particular intervention. So not just looking at the direct effects of, say, curing disease or reducing the incidence of a cancer, for example, but or improving maternal infant care, but also thinking about, well, how does that contribute to greater success for society? How does that improve GDP? How does it improve job growth? And, and then also an interest that I'm pretty interested in is sometimes we look, we're looking at these things through the lens of economic growth, but we also need to think about things like what really makes a successful society. So I really like the free economics episode recently that they had on the kind of happiness index the US, UN is talking about. So huh. As a society, how do we move to really be to be focusing on the things that are going to make us happier and more successful? And it isn't always GDP or job growth. I mean, health is certainly a big part of that, though. Yeah, that's really interesting, and um, and just understanding the the impact on these overall happiness metrics um, sounds like an interesting Freakonomics episode. We'll have to dive into that. <laughs> yeah, I recommend it. <laughs> um, so, Lisa, let's pretend you and I are building a leadership course on what it takes to be successful in healthcare economics, the 101 of Dr. Lisa Kennedy. I've got five uh, lightning round questions for you, followed by a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? I think alternative payment models, cost and price transparency, more outcomes data. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? You know, measuring or focusing on the wrong thing. Lack of understanding of how new incentives lead to poor outcomes. I mean, I could talk a lot about this in terms of talking about incentives. You know, the states that expanded Medicaid, they also saw an increase in deaths from opioids. I mean, Medicaid expansion, it's a good thing. Most people would agree in terms of increasing access. But it is interesting to see how, like, what we do, we're not always... We don't always know what it's going to mean. And this, these last few years, our life expectancy has gone down in the U.S. The, you know, for the first time in like decades. Hmm. And it's not the older generation that's driving this. It's younger people. They're dying of drug overdoses, and it's really tragic. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. That's very interesting. How do you stay relevant despite constant change? Well, because we're a health strategy and policy group, we're constantly learning with every project. So everything we do is different. Analogs, analogs from other industries. We take people are closest to trying to solve big problems big problems in other health, uh, other industries, but also in, in current healthcare problems they're facing. We interview something like 200 experts every year in all fields of healthcare and other industries. I read a lot. I'm part of the adjunct faculty for Singularity University. So we see their perspective on everything from machine learning, optics, robotics, health security, and genomics. 
beautiful. Oh yeah, and, and speaking to people like you, saw that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, Singularity is definitely. If you guys haven't had a chance to check it out, I was blown away with the ideas, the forward thinking. Uh, I was recently at a meeting, uh, the Doc SF meeting in San Francisco, and uh, Daniel Kraft was there. Yeah, gave us, sure. Yeah, he gave us a little uh, a dose of, of the future and what's happening today. So definitely inspiring stuff. He's uh, a great so speaker. He is. He is. So folks, take Lisa up on, on checking that out. What would you say is the one area of focus that drives everything in your organization? Well, you know, this is going to sound so boring, but I'd say quality and service. People ask us like, you know, do you have a, like a special product that you sell or do you have a completely new tech? And we do have those really. And we do, we utilize interesting insights and interesting network of smart people and, and industry analogs. But I'd say really, that's what really keeps you know, our clients coming back. Uh, when, mm-hmm. Once we start working with the client, they work with us for years and years, often on retainer because we're, we're really about strong relationships. We're not a transactional company at all. Love that. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be shiny or sexy. Service and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's going to be tried and true. If it works, yeah. it works. <laughs> so the last question here before the book, I, you know, I usually ask people, what's your number one success habit? But yesterday I started doing what is your number one health habit, given that we're a healthcare podcast, and what's your number one success habit? So there you go. Those are the two quick ones for you. All right. So in terms of like my favorite books, I read a lot of, I read a lot of history actually, but as far as healthcare, I'll read anything by Eric Topol. I think there's mm. a lot of good insight for that. I also yeah, look at awesome. his, yeah, I like to look at his, his, his Twitter feed because it's just a great way to keep up on whatever's happening in the world. I, as far as book though, I, one of my favorite books, and it's a few years old, is The Rise and Fall of American Growth by Robert Gordon. Mm. It is such a great explanation about how the economy works and what has historically driven it. And this is important for healthcare. It has a full chapter that just speaks to how health and healthcare have changed over time. It talks about, you know, his special century that a lot of economists look at sort of unparalleled growth. I think it's an important lesson for us to look at. And but specific to healthcare, it also looks at the kind of the grounds, what kind of grounds us and on key determinants of health. As far as my health habit, yeah, that's, a, that's a very interesting question. I recently started to go move to a plant-based diet. Oh, nice. So that's been a kind of, it's been a revelation for me. It wasn't for, it was really for health reasons that I moved to it. I, I read a lot mm-hmm. of research with healthcare is like health diet, diet nutrition. So there's a lot of data on healthcare delivery, a lot of well-studied interventions. But like if you try to figure out what to eat, and, and yeah, yeah, like I've got a PhD effectively in outcomes research. That's all I've done for, you know, for a huge part of my career. Mm-hmm. So you think you could find stuff, but <laughs> it is so hard to find what you should be eating. There's yeah. so many diets, there's so little data. So I'm... One thing I like, it's called nutritionfacts.org. So I look a lot at what he has and he, mm-hmm. he like looks at the peer-reviewed data. It's kind of interesting. But as far as uh, plant-based diet, you know, I can say that I'm sharper. I don't get brain fog anymore. You know, I, I don't get tired like I used to. So I mean, for me, I mean, everyone's different. But for me, it's been, been an interesting journey. So that would be my, my n- number one health habit. Oh, and I recently got a, um, a new Apple Watch. And the yeah. new one, you know, it uh, measures HRV, which is uh, heart rate variation. Yeah. And that's kind of interesting to kind of look at interesting. Yeah, your, your stress. And yeah, I don't know if you've seen like some of the data. I, I was looking at this a few years ago, of course, we were looking heavily at digital health at one of the companies I was working at. And, um, you know, the technologies weren't there. There was the promise 
But now, you know, it's right there on your watch and it's a great predictor. So if you say someone goes through heart surgery, there's a lot of data that shows that HRV is a great determinant of outcome. And now it's right there within reach, like on, a, on an Apple Watch or on a, lot, on a lot of other devices as well. So that's, that's another thing is just looking at my HRV. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And, and, you know, the other side to it too is, is um, not only the quality of, of food, I think HRV is also maybe about timing. And if you think of like Ayurvedic medicine, yeah. the Ayurvedic schedule and the timing of when you eat, when you sleep and all that, I think there's something there. Yeah, I agree. I think you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, a, it's a really interesting area of research. You know, I saw uh, Eric Topol speak a few years ago at Exponential Medicine, and uh-huh. uh, he had a great point to stay with me. He basically said that we're going to learn so much with these data because they give us a dynamic picture of our health versus like, you know, you get a one-off blood pressure measurement or you get a one-off measurement on blood glucose. Although that's, that's changing as well. But, you know, when you start to see the data over time, you really get a much better picture and that helps us make way better decisions. So true. And how about number one success habit? Oh gosh, my number one success habit, (laughs) getting up really early and working out, I guess would be my number one success habit. It's a particularly complicated approach, but it works well for me. Simple is good. What time do you work out? Usually around 5.30 or 6 a.m. You are good. (laughs) (laughs) We know if you don't do it in the morning. It's hard to get it done. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I love it. This has been fun, Lisa. I've really enjoyed our our conversation. Lots of really great tidbits for the listeners. Before we conclude, I'd love if you could just leave us with a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could get in touch with or follow your work. Yeah. So in terms of closing thought, I think, you know, there's so much that's going on right within the healthcare dialogue. But I think, you know, our push to increase trans- price transparency, to be actually pushed to incentivize the things that we want, which are healthcare, I think that's going to be fundamental to um, how healthcare services potentially evolve over time. And uh, to get a hold of me, probably the best way is by email. And that's lisa.kennedy at inepiphany.com. That's I-N-N-O-P-I-P-H-A-N-Y.com. Outstanding, Lisa. Thank you so much for uh, spending time with us and uh, looking forward to staying in touch with you. Great. Thanks, Saul. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.